Sirius, the star, has an incredible history of the ways that it has been viewed and interpreted and understood in the history of astronomy. So people in Asia, people in Africa, people you know, in the ancient you know, European um, civilizations all saw this as a dog. Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. That was John Caperton speaking. John is the Jensen Bryan Curator at the Prince Center, and his new show, Canicular, features, features an installation that you have to stretch your imagination to call a print. The installation is by New York artist Demetrius Oliver and involves a live feed of the night sky from a telescope at the Franklin Institute. So, John, we spoke to you in 2010. Um, it was during Philographica. And we were talking about what does it mean to be a print in today's age. And since then, um, prints have changed quite a bit in the way that young artists define them. So could you please describe for us what Demetrius Oliver is showing and talk to us a little about how this work redefines print. Demetrius went to the University of Pennsylvania for his MFA um, and graduated almost 10 years ago. While he was at grad school, he made a transition from being a painter to a photo-based artist. And that's actually the work that I first became familiar of. So it was, these were photographs that were neatly framed and hung nicely on the wall, much like in our long history here at the Print Center, um, our exhibitions have looked. Um, and But over that time, his work has really expanded um, and now includes sculpture, sculptural installations, um, video works, um, even performative elements uh, have been incorporated into his work. So we have followed along with his practice as it has expanded. He, I think his, uh, what he has you know, cooked up for us really does link back to that mission. Um, there is one actual neatly framed, beautiful print in the show that hangs nicely on the wall. But beyond that, there are no um, uh, traditional prints in the exhibition. Um, but one theme that it continues throughout the show is the, the relationship between an actual object and how it is represented in um, photography. And we see that in a slide here. Uh, we see it in a, a video installation we, in the print itself, and then also in a live feed from a video. So can you tell us more about that live feed? Demetrius asks us to construct an observatory-like space in our space. So we have a room within a room, a round room within our square white gallery space. Um, and if you crawl through an oversized dog door into that space, you are in a dark, intimate very quiet room where there's a live feed from a video being projected down onto the scrim-like ceiling of that room. And that live feed is uh, coming from a telescope that's on the roof of the Franklin Institute, which shows Sirius in the night sky. So the, Sirius is? Sirius is a star that is the second brightest object in the night sky. And uh, it is part of the, um, the constellation Canis Major, which means large dog. Um, and Sirius is also called the dog star. And why? Why was this selected as the object or subject? Demetrius has been really interested in astronomy, also the history of astronomy for a long time. Um, and 
he has made a number of works where the links between what a constellation uh, is called and how we think of the animal that um, is associated with that. Uh, Sirius, the star, has an incredible history of the ways that it has been viewed and interpreted and understood in the history of astronomy. And I'm talking in... Um, through eons and all around the world. So people in Asia, people in Africa, people, you know, in the ancient, you know, European um, civilizations all saw this as a dog. A lot of um, history of Sirius is having some sort of impact directly on dogs. So it affects the behavior of dogs. The dog days of summer, for instance, is when Sirius is in the daytime sky in the summertime. And that's why it's so hot because the sun and Sirius are both shining on you at the same time, for instance. Is um, this true? No. <laughs> in ancient days, in ancient days, it was believed. That, I see. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things that's interesting about this, and let's talk about it, is the kind of conceptual architecture of the show. There's this secrecy thing going on, a secret society almost, where there's a secret sign outside that lights up when you can come inside to see the feed. The feed is only on one hour a night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., and you can't see the exhibit until then. So it's very, it's hard for me to understand whether it's poking fun at secret societies or cre transforming the print center into a secret society. Is there something humorous about it, or what's the idea? There's definitely humor in um, Demetrius's work, and I think just to talk a little bit about the role of the organization in the exhibition, um, Demetrius, uh, until now, has mostly, w when he talks about his work, he's mostly made works in his studio that were then shown in a gallery space, or he's gone into a gallery space and brought objects into it and somehow transformed the space through an installation. Um, with this exhibition, with the proposal that we asked from him, he said he wanted to, for the first time, think about how an artist could shift the function of an organization. He has asked us to do many things um, to change our typical functions and also our branding and how we present ourselves um, as part of this exhibition. Part of it is meant to be... Um, uh, humorous in some cases, but I think it's also meant to sort of critically point out sort of what our day-to-day our -day functions are, kind of throw those into high relief by shifting them a little bit. Um, and it's been really interesting as a group, as a staff, to sort of work through these things and figure out, figure out how we're going to navigate them. And the surprising thing is often we've seen these as potentially positive things for us in terms of audience engagement and that sort of thing. I keep saying that this will probably be our most popular exhibition, despite the fact that it's hardly ever open. So what's going to happen? Is your outer door going to be locked during the day until 7 p.m. at night? Or can people come in? And if so, how will they be greeted? Um, the the um, the exhibition will not be on view during the day, but we are here for our business as usual um, uh, administratively. And also our gallery store is open the normal hours. The, the lighting and that sort of thing will not be on for those hours. Um, the, none of the video works will be on view during those hours. But then from 7 to 8 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday, the exhibition will be on view, weather permitting, meaning the skies have to be clear in order for us to get the live feed from the telescope. Can you talk a little bit more about the humor in the show? I, I, the humor points out 
in a way, metaphorical richness in the work, that he's not being didactic and holding our hand and um, preaching to us or, or setting us straight on something with this work. The layers that keep piling on as, as you go through. Um, I mean, I think humor in a way is you set up a situation and then you throw a curveball into that situation. Um, and that's where the punchline of, of a joke is, is the unexpected response to something. Um, and that's what he's doing here. Well, the humor is also in that the artist is controlling the institution, which is, if you're an artist, that's humorous. It's wagging know? the dog. <laughs> that's pretty nice. That's a good point. But we, you know, even that goes back and forth, doesn't it? Where um, the decisions that the artist is making, which at first sound arbitrary, like it's almost like we're we're being um, being ridiculous by saying, "Oh, our our interior space is only open weather permitting." But it's actually very dependent on things that are not in the artist's control. And I, I should say that a little anecdote about that is that this exhibition was originally scheduled to open in late spring of, the, of 2013. Um, and early on, thankfully, we met with Derek Pitts, the chief astronomer of the Franklin Institute, to talk about what we wanted to do and what we needed to do. He immediately blew the whistle on our proposal because Sirius is not in the night sky at that time. It's in the daytime sky. So we literally could not have had the exhibition at that time. So the timing of the exhibition in terms of where it falls in the year and the timing of the exhibition where it falls in the day it was actually set by Derek, not by the artist. So Demetrius is not an astronomer, I take it. No, Demetrius is not a scientist. And I mean, I think that's, um, he's very interested in science and he reads extensively in science. Um, and uh, he's also very interested in um, American transcendentalism um, and writers like Emerson who taught that the path to transcendence is through the study of nature. Um, and I think that's what that's where he's interested in with this. I was also struck, though, when I saw the show last night about how, while the show has this cosmic ambition, it also has a very personal quality to it, so that you have glimpses of his studio in it and sort of the detritus of his life. So yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And that is another thing that carries through the show that the, you see objects here that are um, directly or you see representations of objects in some cases here that are um, directly from his studio. Um, and he's often showing you materials that are pointedly everyday materials. You're not seeing a painting in his studio. You're seeing a paper clip in his studio. Um, and interestingly, you never see his entire studio. So there's a a work here that is a multi-channel video installation on monitors showing details of a large kinetic sculpture that he made. And if you look closely at the details that he's showing, those are all things that came from his studio. Um, and they're very everyday materials. So let's talk about that paper clip for a minute. Okay. Because everybody knows paper clips. There you talk about daily kind of mundane materials. It's probably one of the most mundane ever. Okay. But this one has been pulled apart, and that's something that's also very mundane. Everybody's pulled apart a paper clip and put it down and played with it. And it's almost like, is this out of boredom that you pull apart a paper clip? Yeah, sometimes it is. So what's the signal of the bent paper clip, which does echo the star chart? Right, right. So the paper clip is sitting on top of a, a, an old star map showing the lines between stars connecting constellations. Um, so it does sort of play off of that, the lines that people 
see when they see these stars or when they see these groupings of stars. But I think it's also in a way that you are sculpting the paperclip when you're um, bending it. Um, and I think he's talking again in not um, um, in a somewhat funny way about what role the artist's hand plays in the making of the work. Um, that you know the artist we assume has somehow transformed this object through very simple this very simple object through a very simple gesture into something else and then it becomes linked to these other things so again directly linking the cosmic with the artist's hand with something that's very everyday let's talk about the star because it's a really different experience i would think for most people to go in to a space a very small space dark look up and see this not what you think of as a star, at least not what I think of as right. a star. Can you describe what it looks like? It's, it looks really big, for one thing. I mean, it looks like the moon almost in the sky. And um, it, it's very shimmering. The edges of it are um, kind of electric almost. And there's a lot of color around the edges. And Derek um, immediately made clear to me as when he was showing us what what it was going to look like he was like these scientifically are actually not very interesting the things that you're being drawn to here this is pollution in our atmosphere that's distorting the the clarity of the image which to a, a to an astronomer is actually just a hindrance and i was like that's the pretty part of the <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing i should say also is that um if you if we were say in new mexico and we didn't have this you know pollution that we have here and or, uh, including um humidity in the, in the air, that you would actually see that um, Sirius is a twin star. There's actually Sirius A and Sirius B. So there are actually two stars there. Oh, because it, it looked a little oblong, you know, horizontally. So would that, are are they the merging of the two? Are they near each other? They're or? near each other. The second one is a little bit separate and very much a, a lot smaller. And Derek said that you know, with the resolution that we're able to get because of the, tr the problems with the atmosphere here, we're not really seeing Sirius B. Let's talk about fundraising for a show like this, because I have to believe it was appreciable. Um, you know, a live f feed from the Franklin Institute and uh, all these other changes that have been programmed in here in the ancillary programming. So is curating a scramble for funds these days first and then a scramble to get something really cool in your space? So specifically with this show, this exhibition was funded by the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage and um, their program in terms of supporting exhibitions is remarkable and uh, in terms of the generosity that you can get for a specific project. So the budget for this show is much larger than what we are typically able to work with in terms of an exhibition. Um, essentially with that program they ask you to think as big and as ambitiously as you can um, for your organization for a project and that's actually critical to the funding of the project is for the project to be very intriguing very ambitious and have um, a, a large publication that goes along with it so they went for this one <laughs> and you know i it, it's it's for this small organization with all our small staff this has been a very complicated exhibition and it's been um you know it's, it's a stretch for us in a great way um but in terms of thinking about funding in general, doing ambitious projects is critical to funding anything. Um, so sort of the catch-22 there is you have to think big and you have to think ambitiously in order to survive. Well, we've been speaking with John Caperton. John, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for coming. And thanks for coming last night, too.
ArtBlog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.